because this is reiterating some things. We're not ready to read our text yet. Here's what I think we need to do. And we have several new faces, so this is, this is needed. And it's needed for all of us. Very quickly, as fast as I can. I don't have, a, I don't have notes on this. Uh, if you want to flip back to chapter 8, 9, okay? Uh, and I'm, I'm going to literally just paraphrase, hitting highlights. Chapter 8 of Romans, and, and I, believe, I believe most Christians in America are going to die without ever hearing preaching out of Romans 9. Most will die without ever hearing preaching out of Romans 11. Hey, chapter 10, I've read, I've, I know those verses. I use them when I talk to people about Christ. Chapter 8, man, that's a great section. I hear lots of preaching about that. Chapter 3, how sinful we are. Chapter 5, and, and yeah, I hit that. And sometimes chapter 6, and yeah, we hear all that. What is this in these two chapters? Uh, well, they're preceded by this. I challenge you to go home and read this. Like read chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, all in one sitting. Here's what you would find. Ready? Paul has this crescendo in chapter 8 of how we're secure in Christ. I'll go ahead and say it. If you have salvation, if you've been declared righteous by God, you can never, ever lose your salvation. You say, I just don't believe that. Read chapter 8, let it say what it says. You're secure. You're like, but what if I this? Did you put your trust and faith in Christ? Did God justify you? What chapter 8 says is, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? No one's going to bring a charge that God doesn't already know about. And his rule is, hey, I'm the boss. I declared them righteous. My son's righteousness is on them. I knew about everything they were ever going to do in their life before I saved them. I've saved them from all that. His death on the cross is that powerful. Don't tell me what I can and can't do as the judge. That's what God's going to tell you. We're secure. Death, life, tribulation, things in the past, things we haven't even done yet, things to God. No creature can take us from the love of God. Now, here's where it gets tricky. It's like, woo, man, I love that. Woohoo! I'm secure. But Paul anticipates a question as he heads into nine, chapter 9. I'm paraphrasing. I'm reading between the lines, but here's the question. Hey, Paul, that sounds great, but I think we have a problem. What's the problem? Can God's promises really be trusted? Why would you say that? Well, we've got this Bible, and the Old Testament is full of these promises to the Jews. And they're going to be a blessed people, these descendants of Abraham. And their blessings seem particularly related for when the Messiah comes. They're looking for this Christ, this Messiah. He came over 2,000 years ago to Bethlehem. He lived and died on a cross, paid for their sins, but they've rejected him. They've rejected him. For 2,000 years they've rejected him. And there's no hope, it looks like, for them ever to come back to Christ. So these promises in eight sound great, but can we really trust them? Because here's what we think. Apparently, one of two things has to be true based off what we've seen. Either Jesus is not the Messiah, and the Jews are correct in rejecting him, and they're waiting for another. We're wrong. Because they're not being blessed. They're not accepting him. They're not being blessed. So either he's not the Messiah or all these promises are lies. If he is the Messiah, they're not being blessed. So Paul, what's the answer? Because it has to be one or the other. And Paul says, actually, there is another option. If you're in chapter 9, really the key to these three chapters, 9 to 11, is chapter 9, verse 6. Here's what Paul says. Here's his answer. Whoa, 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 whoa. It is not as though the word of God has failed. Great is his faithfulness. He doesn't change. These promises he made to Abraham are still right on course. How can you say that? If Jesus is the Christ and he's the only way to heaven, these Jews are rejecting him. According to the scriptures, they're dying going to hell. What do you say about that, Jeff? Unfortunately, I say that is exactly what's happening. But Paul says it's not as though the word of God has failed. His promises aren't falling apart. This hasn't taken God by, by surprise. So what's the answer? The answer is in the middle of verse 6. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because there is offspring. Verse number 8. This means it's not the children of the flesh. We hit this a lot. I know this is review for several of you, but watch this. Here's Paul's answer. Hang on. These promises made to Abraham and his descendants, they were never made to all of his descendants. Yes, he had eight sons, but it's Isaac's line. Hang with me. Okay. Isaac's line is right. That's the Jewish nation. They have the promises. 
I'm sorry, yeah, Isaac blinded. But here, Paul then tears it down even more. Isaac then has two sons. Go home and read chapter 9. Here's what he says. Before these two twins, Esau and Jacob, before they're even born, it's not like one did good and the other one did bad, and that's why this happened. That's not why this happened. Study it. Let it say what it says. Paul says, before they're born, so Abraham has eight sons, but it's the one line, not Ishmael, not the six sons of Keturah. It's Isaac's line, the son of Sarah. But now Isaac marries Rebekah, and they have twins, and the twins aren't even born yet, and before they're born, Rebekah's told, the older one will serve the younger. Jacob I love, and God says it. Esau I've hated. What? You can't do that. And that's what we tell God. You can't do that. And so Paul draws a conclusion. So it depends not on man's effort. It depends not on man's will, but so that God's election might stand. God elected Jacob. He did not elect Esau. So everything's on schedule. It wasn't the other seven sons of Abraham. It's Isaac. It's not Esau's line. It's It's Jacob's line. And then Jacob has 12 sons, and they have descendants, and it keeps going and going and going. So who's all these promises to? I guess it's to all of them. But how come they're rejecting? We have all these questions. Paul says the answer is God, and we don't like this, because God is God, he says, I get to have mercy on whoever I will have mercy. And what he's implying is, I don't have to have mercy on anyone because then it's not mercy if he has to do it. It's not grace if he has to do it. I'll have mercy. But then he really kicks it up in our face. We don't like this part. And then God says, in fact, I even raised up Pharaoh so I could show my power on him and I would become famous. I literally let this guy come to power so I could crush him. And then he tells us he hardened his heart. And Jeff doesn't like a lot of what chapter 9 says. But Jeff has to preach it. I don't know why I'm talking in third person, but I just did. Anyway, I don't do that a lot. But anyway, chapter 9, here's where it goes. Paul says, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll harden who I will harden. And then he reads our thoughts. I know what you're thinking. God's unfair. God, you can't do that. And Paul's only answer is, who are you, little man, to tell God? Is he not the potter? And can a potter not have a lump of clay and with the clay kind of divide it out with the same lump? It's not like, well, these are the good ones and these are the wicked ones. No, we're all wicked. And so with some of the clay, he takes and he makes vessels of honor. And with some of the clay, he makes vessels of dishonor. And some he's going to show how wrathful he is against sin and he will prove that through eternity. And others he's going to show how gracious and merciful he is and his love. And he's going to let them into heaven despite themselves. And we look at it and go, God, you can't you can't and Paul's answer is he's the potter and then he goes on and he says there's this remnant you want to know even Jacob's line not all of them were ever going to be saved it was only a remnant of them a portion in fact I would tell you historically a small portion flip over to chapter 10 if you're just kind of perusing feel free to go home and study those Paul, knowing there's only a remnant, he still says, I still have this burden from my nation of Israel. I love them. In chapter 9, he says, I would go to hell if they could all go to heaven. I literally would take their hell. Chapter 9, he says, I have a burden. I pray for them. And i got to give them props, man. They're zealous. They're really trying to be righteous and holy. The problem is no one can be good enough to go to heaven. And he puts these two models in front of us. Here's one. It's the works model. You get the commands of God. If you can keep them all, you really will go to heaven. The problem is no one has ever kept them. Then there's this other model which says you get righteousness. How? Not by being good. By faith in Christ. You receive his righteousness. It is purely by faith. It's about words and promises and a person. It's about hearing the promise of God, believing the promise of God about the person of Jesus. Put your faith in Christ. He says, by the way, the word is near you. It's in your heart. You know what it is. I don't know how to go to heaven. Yes, you do. Say it. Well, apparently you have to believe in Jesus or something. You just said it. You know the answer. The question is, are you believing in Jesus? That's the question. So then Paul steps back in chapter 10. And he says, look, if you have your Bible, we'll finish here today. Look at chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, why would they do that? 
Someone believes that what Jesus did on the cross was enough. They literally will call Christ. He's not only the Lord, He's my Lord. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. You said you would save me, verse 13 says, if I would call on you, and it's not even vocal cords, it's your soul and spirit saying, God, I call on you, I I receive you, please save me from my sins. Everyone who does that will be saved. Now here's the thing, chapter 10, why doesn't everybody just do that? Well, there's two groups of people. Well, then why don't everybody just do it? If anybody who asks will be saved, why doesn't everybody just call? Group number one has never heard this. And that's why we take the Annie Armstrong offering. Because people in Toronto and New York City and Seattle and Vancouver and Las Vegas have never heard. And so hopefully these aren't just videos that we watch and we let Easter come and go without actually praying and giving toward this offering to put people in these cities so they can hear. Many have never heard. So Paul then steps back and says... Are the nation of Israel, are my Jews, my family, are they in the category of those that have never heard about Jesus? No, they don't fit. They know. Every Jew around the world that has any training in Judaism knows that there's this religion out there called Christianity with this Christ, this Jesus, who claims to be their Messiah, and the majority are rejecting it. So then Paul then answers at the end of chapter 10, well, maybe they don't understand it. Maybe it's too complicated. And he's like, no, no better than that. Gentiles who know nothing, beans about Scripture, little kids, little Gentile children, they come to Christ and believe like the first, second, third time they hear about Jesus. So it's not too complicated for the Jews. What's the problem? It's the end of chapter 10, verse 21. Here's the problem. God stands with his arms open to the nation of Israel, and they don't come. That flows right into chapter 11. So they're rejecting, they're stubborn, they're disobedient. And so Paul asks a question. Because of their disobedience, will God just reject the whole nation? Just throw them all away? And he says, no, God will not. I'm really paraphrasing fast. Trust me. I'm doing in like 10 minutes what we've done for months, so be patient, okay? Chapter chapter 11, what happens? Paul's like, no, no, no. He's not throwing the whole nation away. There's a remnant. And Paul's like, I'm one of them. It got really bad in Elijah's day. He thought he was the only one. There were 7,000, though, that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. Always been a remnant. It's never been all Israel that's, that's put their faith in God's promises. I'm one. There's still some there, Paul would say. There's others of us Jewish. So then he comes down in chapter, eight, or chapter 11, verse 8. He tells us why so many Jews are not receiving Christ. He says they have this hardening, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And so they stay hardened to the things of God. And then as we go to chapter 11, verse 11 to 24, last week's message... Paul asked this question. So this nation of Israel only has this trickle, this remnant that are believing in their Messiah. The rest are rejecting. Is it always going to only be a remnant, a little trickle, a small percentage? And Paul says, no, 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 no. In fact, God had to use this. He needed the nation of Israel. He used the nation of Israel to oppose the Christ because if they loved him and accepted him, they never would have let him die on a cross. But he needed to die on a cross to pay for our sin. So they commit this trespass. And they killed the Christ, their Christ. And then they committed this failure where they reject him and continue to stay in this failure. But he he brings out this analogy. How because of their failure, we get a place at the banquet. There's this big banquet, this kingdom of God, marriage supper of the Lamb. The Jews are invited. The Jews in the Old Testament say, we're coming, we're in. Here comes John the Baptist. It's here, it's time. And they realize it's him, Jesus from Nazareth. He's the Christ. No thanks, we're not going to that banquet. But Jesus is the Christ. And they reject and so chapter 9, verses 11 through, or chapter 11, verse 11 through 24, here's what Paul says. Because they've rejected, God's brought us in. And he uses this tree analogy, this olive tree. And the root system is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they have this covenant with God. And the branches, the original branches, is the nation of Israel. And some of them believe. And they are in heaven today. But many of the branches, the original branches, individual Jews, are being cut off. Why? Because they're not believing the way Abraham and Isaac and Jacob did. They're being cut off. But here's the wonderful thing. We Gentiles are like wild olive branches from these wild olive trees. And God's cut us off of the wild things, brought us in, and engrafted us into the cultured olive tree. And it's taking. And we're drawing out of the good things from Abraham's covenant with God that if we'll just believe God, we get to go to heaven. And with all of that, we come to verse 25. So that's the introduction. That's a lot. I might have just used my 10,000 words for males today. You women, you use like 25 to 35,000. 
Guys, we use 10,000 and shy people like me, introverts, I don't know, I probably use 5,000 and I'm, anyway, here we go, verse 25, today's text. Lest, he's talking to Gentiles, us, lest you be wise in your own sight, listen to it again, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. So to keep you from being wise in your own sight, I'm going to give you a mystery. Brothers, which means brothers and sisters. A partial hardening. Oh, so it's not all the Jews that are rejecting. No, no, no. It's a partial hardening. It's the majority, but there is a remnant. Here, here it is. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Until, there's some hope there, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, been grafted into this tree. They're wild. They get in. Yeah, they're coming in. I'm one of them. So there's this hardening on the nation of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles, but it's partial, and it's until. Verse 26. And in this way, look what your Bible says, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. What's he going to do? He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. That's the name for Israel. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. All Israel. This is awesome. Verse 28. Back to the present. As regards the gospel, they, the all Israel, are enemies for your sake. They're your enemies. Don't want to hear it. But as regards election, they are beloved. They, that all Israel, God says, I love them for the sake of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs. Why is that? For the gifts... And the calling of God, the gifts of God, and the calling of God are irrevocable. Cannot be called off. Cannot be revoked. The gifts of God, the calling of God is irrevocable. And he gives us some big picture here. Pans back out. For just as you were at one time disobedient. You remember that? That was me. That's the Gentiles, that's all of us. That's all the Gentiles, all the ages, that's all of us as individuals. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy. Because of their disobedience, the Jews' disobedient, literally because they rejected Christ, God has determined that the seats at the table will be filled. Go out to the highways and hedges. He's even bringing in the old Gentiles. We're going to open the door and let them come in. Paul's reminding us again, because they've rejected, we get it. Verse 31. So, you've seen that dynamic. So they too have now been disobedient in order that, uh uh-oh, some hope here, that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. Hey, wait, that sounds like verse 23 and 24. If they were to stop their unbelief, then these original branches can be brought back in. Well, God actually like cut branches off, but if they believe, bring them back. Absolutely, that's what he just referred to. And it's so much so, the verse 32. For God has consigned, locked us all up, put us all in the same pen. God has consigned all to disobedience. Why? that he might have mercy on all. Uh Uh-oh, Jeff's got some explaining to do on this. Four things today. We had four last week. Number one, if you would notice with me, a repeated warning to not be arrogant. A repeated warning to not be arrogant. We kind of finished last week when we're talking about this tree You remember this, those of you who are here, and and this is debatable, and I didn't take a strong stance. I threw out my opinion. What is this olive tree? If you want to know, go back and read verses like 16 to 24. 
say, what is this olive tree? Some say it's Israel, only Israel, and everyone who wants to have a relationship with God has to become Jewish proselytes. Others say it's Israel in the beginning, then it becomes the church. And so Israel's kind of absorbed and lost, and it's the church from here on, and there is no more Israel. Others, more where I'm in line, say that it begins as Israel and then includes the church. And then one particular uh, commentator gave, I, I thought, the best example. This tree represents a place, a favor, an opportunity. A place of grace. Again, opportunity to the covenant. Not everybody's heard about it, but if you're brought into the tree, you get to have an opportunity to be in this. But the key is, not everybody in the tree is automatically saved because some are cut off because they don't believe. So that got a little complicated. But in the midst of all that, Paul made sure that we who have believed in Christ, here's his point, do not get arrogant. Look, if you would, verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Guys, Paul is intent. Listen to me. If you're a Gentile who is a believer in Jesus, you say, I have that eternal life. Chapter 8 talks about Paul is intent. Do not be arrogant. Do not be arrogant. Why would we be arrogant? Get this. This is important. If you study this out, there's two reasons people will be, Christians will become arrogant. Number one is I've been grafted in. I mean, hey, they were cut off so I could come in. God really loves me. In fact, he actually says that idea in verse 19. You will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Verse 20 says, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So here's, watch this. Why would we be arrogant? Why would we think that we're wise. Here's, I think, the second thing, and this is what Paul does not want us to think. Well, number one, I was grafted in. Number two, I believe they didn't. Listen, I believed they didn't. Careful how you view you believing. I hope every one of us have a time in our life where we look back and say, I believed Christ on that day. That's when it began. I have done that. Praise the Lord, I have that in my life. Be careful how you think that came about being. Maybe a little controversial here. I'm going to offer, I firmly believe the following. By stating the reason for their unbelief, the Jews who are rejecting Christ, Gentiles who are rejecting Christ, by stating the reason for their unbelief, I believe Paul implies the reason for our belief. Say it again. By stating why they don't believe, he's implying why we do believe. You say, Jeff, why don't they believe? Have you ever thought this? There's some Christians in here. You're evangelistic. You have a burden for someone. I know you've thought this. You've thought it about the Jews, and you've thought it about a person. I know I have. Here's the thought. Why don't they just trust Jesus? Why don't they just believe? I mean, the Jews, they know these scriptures. They know about Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, and, and, and Zechariah, which we'll look at in a minute, they know these things. Why can't they just connect the dots and see it? Or you know a person in your life, and you're like, why won't they believe it is so simple? All you have to do, admit you're a sinner. Have, have conviction over that. And just put your faith in Christ. Just ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. It always works. Why won't they do it? I'll tell you why. Verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Here's why they don't believe. They've been hardened. They've been hardened. I believe by telling us why they don't believe, they've been hardened. Paul implies to us why we did believe. How many of you were saved? In the, the day you got saved, the moment you got saved, it was in a corporate meeting. It could have been a small group or something, but it wasn't like one-on-one with someone. It wasn't reading a track. It wasn't studying on your own at home. It was in a setting where there was preaching or teaching, and you put your faith. There were other people present that day. Raise your hand if you were saved in that kind of thing. Look all around. Here's why, I'm, here's why I'm doing that. Okay, hands down. Many of us were saved in a setting where we believed others didn't. So why did that happen? I'll tell you why true followers of Christ believe. You say, what about the ones who didn't believe? Right, they have hardening. I'm going to tell you why you believed. Because the hardening was removed. The hardening was removed. 
That's why verse 18, if you want to glance there, it's not on screen. That's why it says, don't be arrogant. That's why verse 20 says, do not become proud, but fear. That's why verse 20 says, verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight. You know what Paul said? I don't want you to think you're smarter than everybody else. Oh, I know why I'm a Christian. I heard it. They weren't smart enough to figure it out. I got a spiritual streak in me. I, have a, I had a glimmer of a divine spark in me, and I responded, and they didn't have it, and I'm just a little wiser and smarter. Paul says, don't be arrogant. You did not drum up the faith. It was given to you. Second thing to notice today is a mystery made known. A mystery made known. Look at verse 25 again. Lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this, brothers. By the way, that that note I forgot to give you. I believe this. I believe a state of hardening is our default. That's all of our default until God removes it. We're all born dead spiritually. We're all born hardened spiritually. And then God has to remove the hardening. There's a hardening on Israel. There's a hardening on unbelievers. So there's no room for pride there. Man, I couldn't even believe on my own. I sure can't be arrogant about if I live the Christian life a little bit. I sure can't go through life thinking I'm all that. I'm some great Christian. I couldn't even start the thing on my own, much less complete it on my own. It's all God all the way through. That's the key. And to help us get that, Paul says, I need you to understand a mystery. Verse 25 again. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Brothers. You want to write this down. The best defense against our natural prone to human pride. Every one of us are naturally prone to selfishness and pride. Well, I'm, I'm wiser, I'm smart, smarter, I have a spiritual streak, I'm better. We're all prone to that. I'll tell you the cure for that, and that's a fresh dose of divine revelation. You say, I'm really struggling with pride these days. Up your Bible reading and let it say what it says and let the mirror of the Word of God expose you and stop believing what you're posting on Facebook. Okay? Now, what helps us? A fresh dose of divine revelation. I don't say this in a mean way. I challenge myself. I believe most Christians in America really do not know what the Scriptures say. We know a lot about sports. We know a lot about what's going on in the entertainment world. We know a lot about what's going on in the social media. We hardly know beans about Scripture, and that's why we're so selfish and prideful. And Paul says, I'm going to help you out there. I'm going to give you a glimpse of a mystery. And here's what a mystery is. Write it down. A mystery is something that was previously hidden that's now being revealed by God. It was previously hidden, but now it's revealed. And if you understand this mystery, you really shouldn't have a problem with being arrogant and prideful and thinking you're wise in your own sight. The mystery he's going to show us is threefold. First of all, verse 25, here's the mystery, brothers. Number one, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. If you want to write it down. What's the mystery? Number one, Israel has been partially, not all of them, there's a remnant Partially and temporarily hardened. Israel's been partially, temporarily hardened. You're like, what is this hardening? I know this is a review, but flip your page. It'll not be on the screen. Look back at verse 7 and 8. Look back at verse 7 and 8 real quick. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Israel's trying to work its way to heaven, but it doesn't work. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Notice, passive tense. They were hardened. It was put on them. What does this hardening look like? Look at verse 8. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Look at it again. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that wouldn't see, not physically. He's talking about spiritually. Ears that wouldn't hear, not physically, spiritually. You say, Jeff, what is this partial, temporary hardening that's on Israel? Here it is. Spiritual drowsiness. Spiritual blindness. Spiritual deafness. I said this a few weeks ago. You know people who experience this. You will see it in the room today. Don't look for it, by the way. Don't be that person. But here's what it is. Spiritual drowsiness. Spiritual blindness. Spiritual deafness. It's like things are being said... It's right there in print. It's being proclaimed. But here's how it comes out. Here's how the hardness comes out. I don't care about the Bible. 
I'm easily distracted. I tried, but there was a B. And the B is much more important. And that cute little baby. And I've got to go to Walmart after this. And I need to be kind of compiling my list. And somebody's texting me while you're trying to preach. And it's much more important than the Bible. Spiritual hardening. Drowsiness. I'm just, I just can't focus. Or I'm easily distracted. Or it's I'm there. I'm trying. I just can't see it. How do you go to heaven? Uh, just in Jesus. But what do you got to do to go to heaven? Uh, put your faith in Christ alone. Don't try to do anything else. Believe that if you ask him, he'll save you. Okay, okay. But what do you got to do to go to heaven? You just can't see the clear things. It's spiritual hardening. Let me say this real fast. If those do not describe you, you say, Jeff, I'm not bragging on myself, but I, I am interested in the Scriptures. Every now and then, I might get distracted for a moment, but I'm tracking. And I'm not getting it all, but this stuff's kind of starting to make sense to me. You're blessed! You're blessed above everybody else. You say, I'm just poor. You have the greatest blessing. You've had the hardening removed. The second part of this mystery is, and also verse 25, Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Thankfully, we live in a day where many Gentiles are receiving Christ. I am one. You say, many? What does many mean? You think like most people in the world all know. But this is off the chain, guys. Hundreds of millions of Gentiles are putting their faith in Christ. He's the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish Christ. We're getting in on the blessings. Hundreds of millions. And I'm one. Now, as far as the Jews, there's two key words in verse 25. It's the word partial, partial hardening on the Jews, not all the Jews. There's still this remnant. And then there's this word until, which tells me it's not forever. So this fullness of the Gentiles is not forever. There's going to be an end. Something's going to bring it abruptly to an end, which is the third point of the mystery. All Israel will be saved. You say, where'd you get that from? Did you catch it in verse 26? And in this way... There's this partial, temporary hardening. There's this fullness of the Gentiles coming in. That's what we're seeing in the world. It was a brand new mystery in AD 56 when Paul wrote it. But it's now 2,000 years old. And it's like, yes, that is what's happening. But verse 26 says, and in this way all Israel will be saved. Now, the second point's going to flow right into the third. But before I do, I need to give you one quick thing. Ready? All Israel will be saved. Now, I hope you're thinking... If you're thinking, you should have a dilemma right now. If you're letting the Bible say what it says, hold on, verse 29, in this way, all Israel will be saved. Would you write this down? There's a biblical principle of Bible study which says, you say, Jeff, is man-made. I, I, I believe it wholeheartedly. I would encourage you. This, this principle says obscure passages should be interpreted in light of clear passages. An obscure passage here and there must be interpreted in light of clear things. The Bible says clearly multiple, many, many times. So if you read only this little phrase, all Israel will be saved, and you run with it, you're going to come to a wrong conclusion if you don't put it in the context. Let me give you an example. Look back, if you would, verse 19 to 22. Look at it very quickly, very quickly. Here's how you can get off track if you take an obscure... What does that? I don't know, but I'm going to build a whole system of theology based off of... Watch verse 19. Then you will say, hey, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. So apparently, you know, I'm I'm something. Paul says, well, that is true. They were broken off. They were broken off because of their unbelief. Jewish branches didn't believe. God removes them. He brings you in, and you do believe. You stand fast through faith. Watch this. Do not become proud, but fear. Watch what the Bible says. Watch this. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Whoa. Neither will He spare me. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Verse 22. Severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness to you. Watch this line. Provided you continue. You get kindness if you continue. Oh. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. I'm going to tell you how some people read that. Huh. 
we better be afraid unless we get cut off. You can lose your salvation. Wrong answer. It's not what it means. Well, then why do we need to be afraid? Because if you're arrogant, which was the point of verse 18 before it, if you're arrogant and you think you did something to save yourself, that's probably a sign you didn't really get saved in the first place. You're a non-believer. You think you can take a little bit of belief, couple it with your performance, put it together, and God's going to let you go to heaven. No, it's all belief with no performance. Second thing in there, did you catch that? So some use these verses, well, you can lose your salvation. See, you may get cut off. We could be cut off. No, that's the wrong interpretation. You've got to put that in light. Chapter 8 is so clear. You cannot lose your salvation. The second thing there is, oh, yeah, look, severity toward those who've fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue. See, we have to earn our way to heaven. God, this is a lot of people's theology. I could name some denominations. Some of you have been in these denominations. Watch this. Yes, God saves us. He gives us a brand new slate. And from there, we've got to stay on the right track so we don't lose our salvation. We've got to continue. And they'll use verse 22 for that. But Romans, the whole theme has been you can't do anything to save yourself. So what is this continuing? Here's the point. We looked at it in four other places last week. You will continue if you really are saved. You will continue. So be careful. You say, all right, Jeff. Verse 26, who's this all Israel? Does that mean all the Jews who've ever lived, even the ones who've rejected Christ and are in hell today, they're going to get out of hell one day? Is that what that means? Man, I wish it said that. I wish it did. But that's not what it means. No one's going to heaven without putting their faith and trust in Christ. All those Jews who've rejected Christ will not get out of hell and get to rule and reign with Christ without ever trusting him. That will not happen. So we hear that and say, if that's not the interpretation of the all Israel, who is the all Israel? Who is it then? Who are they? What's the interpretation? Point number three. A day of salvation. There's a day of salvation. Now, would you look again at verse 26? In this way, all Israel will be saved, as is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. Now, not on the screen. I don't think these are on the screen. Maybe they are. Look at verse 12. Look back there. Now, if their trespass, this is Israel killing Christ, crucifying Jesus. If their trespass means riches for the world, it had to happen or we can't go to heaven. Hey, we hate that it happened, but we're glad that it happened. You can't have both. Yes, We're sorry that Jesus had to die for our sins and the Jews were the ones who were behind the whole thing. Yes, the Romans executed it, but it was really their desire. This was their trespass, but that means we get to go to heaven, riches for the world. And then he says, verse 12, if their failure, this is continuing to reject Christ for 2,000 years at least, if that means riches for Gentiles, watch the end of verse 12, how much more will their full inclusion, Paul's teasing, it's coming, what if they were to all come? If God did good out of their bad, What if they all came? What would that be like? Verse 15. Look at verse 15. For if their rejection, being rejected by God because of their unbelief, means reconciliation of the world. Yeah, we're, we're getting saved. Like you said, hundreds of millions of Gentiles. What will their acceptance mean? So what if, about, what if there was a full inclusion? What if they were accepted by God? It would be like life from the dead. Now verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Boy, I'm going to get technical just for a second. Lord, really let many folks get this point. Are you ready? You've got to think. Jeff, who's this all Israel? Listen. Think, think, think. I, I, I hope I can say it correctly. Verse 26, 27, 28. I need to read 26, 27, 28. Here we go. All Israel will be saved, as is written. Watch what the Bible says, the Old Testament. The deliverer, out of Isaiah. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Watch verse 28, it's key. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, but... But, oh yeah, they're an enemy to the, to the gospel. But, as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Everything's on track. How can everything be on track? Watch. I believe verse 26, 27, 28, Paul switches gears. I believe this is hinting and telling us 
Paul's saying, I'm no longer talking about the remnant, the little small remnant of Jews that have been trickling in throughout time who have been being won by a track or a conversation or hearing preaching and teaching or a Christian who has such a life and a relationship with God that it makes the Jew jealous and they're thirsty and hungry and they want what you have and God opens their eyes and one here and there. Paul's like, I'm no longer talking about the little select few that are of the remnant. He's saying, I'm talking about all Israel. All Israel. All Israel. So he's switching gears. Who's this all Israel? If you want to write this down, I believe it refers to a specific event in which all the Jews on earth, here's the key phrase, at that time will be saved at once. So Paul's like, I'm not talking about the trickle, I'm not talking about the remnant. We're now talking about the all Israel that's going to be saved at once. How will that happen? He gave a clue. The deliverer will come. Look at verse 28 again. This is important. As regards the gospel, I'm, I'm, I'm not harming the passage. I promise you, watch this. As regards the gospel, the all Israel are enemies for your sake. All Israel are enemies for your sake. I'm going to be technical just for about two more minutes. I hope you get it. Verse 28, 26, 27, 28, seems to hint that these Jews, this all Israel, will not, here listen, will not be saved immediately by the usual means of evangelism and preaching by which God saves the remnant of Jews. It will not be immediately. You say, what is immediately? If someone's in a pit... I can reach my arm down and pick them up or I can get in the pit and push them out. I'm doing that immediately. I'm immediately helping them. Or I can give them a rope and a ladder and through the rope and the ladder, I am immediately helping them. Right now, you say, how did the remnant come to Christ? The remnant come to Christ immediately through evangelism and teaching and preaching and it's not very many. Only a few get it. What Paul is saying is the all Israel is very resistant and hardened and they really get offended when you try to tell them their Messiah is already come. They don't like that and they're not going to come. The all Israel is not going to come to Christ by our evangelistic efforts. That is not an excuse to not try to be evangelistic toward them. We need to be. Why? Because some of the remnant will be. He's talking about all Israel though will be saved. How? Immediately. Not immediately through us. How will they be saved? Kind of like God does with Paul on the road to Damascus. Immediately he himself He's going to watch this. Bring them all together. And at one time, they'll believe. You're like, how in the world would that even be possible? I'm really glad you asked that. Thank you for asking that. They're going to be hardened until. Uh, they're your enemies, evangelistically. But, according to election, they're loved. This all Israel, they're some... The remnant will, but the all Israel is going to not come to Christ by your efforts. It'll be immediately by him. How? I'll hit this fast. Some of you already know where we're going. The Bible refers to seven years of tribulation. It will be a terrible time for the Jews. Selfishly, I would love it to be start today. Say, really? Guys, sometimes, and there's some people in this room today, uh, you know this, sometimes God's got to bring some bad things in your life to break you down and get you ready to come to Christ, doesn't he? If that's been you in your life, would you say amen? God had to tighten screws because left yourself. I'm not, I don't have time for you, God. I got this stuff. And then God lets your stuff come back on you. And then you start reaping all that, and it's nasty, and you're down, down, down. And when you're at your, literally, the lowest point of life, you ready to come up now? And then he brings you up. He's going to tighten the screws on Israel so tight. Say, so what's going to happen? There's going to be a powerful world leader, and he's going to make promises to the Jews. Here's the cue. He's going to offer them a seven-year contract of peace, and I've got the power to back it up. I'm extremely, I'm the most powerful man in the world. And they're going to believe him. And they're going to follow him. 
And they honestly in their heart will think, now this is our Messiah. And he's even letting us rebuild our temple. And can't you picture it? The temple's being rebuilt. It's almost done. And the Jews are like leaving New York City and Vancouver and Toronto. And they're like, let's go back to the homeland. And they start heading back by the millions. And here they come. And everything's great until this world leader does something so abominable that they realize you're not the Christ. You're not the Messiah. You're not the friend of God. You're the enemy of God. And they will recognize and they will turn on him. Oh, when they turn on him, he will turn on them and he has power. And he will bring the armies of the world. You turn on me and he will start crushing them. And they will be dying and dying and dying and dying. And I believe two-thirds of them will die. So much so, here come the armies of the world and they're literally landing in Palestine. And Israel's having to contract and restrict in the hills of Judea and in Jerusalem. You're like, Jeff, where in the world do you get these crazy ideas? Blame it on Charlie Rice when you get to heaven. Uh, You go up and say, you're the guy that taught Jeff all these things. Luke chapter 21, would you look at it? We're going to hit fast. Luke 21, what's going to happen? How can all Israel be saved in a day? Luke 21, but when, verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then those who are in Judea, that's the area just outside Jerusalem, the hills, flee to the mountains. And let those who are inside the city depart, get out of there. And let those who are out in the country, uh, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress. Guys, this isn't a fairy tale. This is real stuff. This is hurt and pain. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. I mean, just being trampled. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Flip over to Acts. The next book that Luke wrote, flip over to Acts chapter 1. Just real quick, just want to see this as a reference. Acts chapter 1. Jesus is literally getting ready to be ascended in front of his followers. He's already been resurrected. He's shown himself to them for 40 days. It's 10 days before Pentecost and the Holy Spirit's arrival. What happens 10 days before that? Verse 9. This has really happened, guys. Look what happened. Acts 1, verse 9. And when he had said these things, Jesus, as they were looking on, He was lifted up. Literally, he was standing there on the ground. He's lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Literally. And they're just watching, watching, watching. I can't, I can barely, I still, I don't see him anymore. Me neither. Verse 10. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men, these are angels, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way. I believe with all my heart. Well, I know this. He doesn't mean just the same way with a cloud bringing him back. Not only that, he means same place. He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Where were they? From the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Literally, watch this. Here's the temple. Here's the city of Israel. Here's the city of Jerusalem. There's a valley. Over here's the Mount of Olivet. You say, how far away is it? Go down here to Whitehall's red light down here on Highway 28 bypass. That's about how far it was. So we're in Jerusalem. Literally, Jesus ascends, and that's where his 12 are. They come back over into Jerusalem. That's where he left. That's where he's going to come back. Zechariah chapter 12. Flip over there. You're going to want to see it in your Bible. Zechariah 12. Zechariah 12. How in the world is all, quote, all Israel, all those alive at that time, going to be saved in a day? Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. Zechariah 12, verse 1. I think I missed a note. And here's the note. Can we go back? I don't know if you have that, Matt. Yeah. See that note there? Just when the nation of Israel has no power and no hope and they're staring at apparent annihilation, the second coming of Jesus will happen. The deliverer will come from Zion. Just in time. 
You say, Jeff, the rapture? No, 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 that's not the rapture. This is where he doesn't just come and take believers up. This is seven years. This is at the end of the tribulation. He literally will touch down. You're like, where is this in Scripture? This is a sample, Zechariah 12, verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. He he did all that. Behold, watch what God says is going to happen. I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. They're going to get drunk. on. They they think this is going to go well, but oh, it's not going to go well. They're going to have a cup of staggering when they come and surround Israel. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. It's not just the city, but the surrounding area. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves. And all the nations of the earth will gather against it. The Antichrist has that power. He's bringing his army, and here they come. They're marching and they're rolling, and Israel's constricting, and they still don't believe in Christ, and it's getting worse and worse. And they're fighting, and they're, they're, they're doing their best, and they've got some good technology. But this is the world. This is the world. And they can't beat them. Verse number 9. What's going to happen? God says, on that day I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. What's going to happen, Jeff? How can they be saved in a day like this? I, and God says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace. Not hardness, grace. And pleas for mercy. Guys, this is going to happen one day. You say, how could all Israel be saved? All the ones who are alive at that time when this happens, all of them are going to look. And he says, there's going to be pleas of mercy. Mercy. Would you give us mercy to the one true God? What's going to happen? I'm going to pour a spirit of grace and pleas of mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, that's Jesus, they shall mourn for him. You really are the one. And they will weep and weep. You talk about conviction. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Literally, they will be saved spiritually. They'll finally realize all along, you really were our Messiah. They will believe in Jesus. It gets a little better. Chapter 14, look at verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. They've been robbing from you all these centuries and millennia. It's coming back. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses plundered. You're like, this doesn't sound like it's going so well. And the women raped. It's bad times. It's called great tribulation. Half of the city shall go out into exile but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord... The Lord, they've been fighting, not winning. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, six-tenths of a mile away, and the Mount of Olives shall be split. Literally, this, yes, this mountain will split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mountain shall move northward. You're talking about an earthquake. One half of the mountain moves northward and the other half southward. What's the purpose of that? Verse 5, and you, he's telling the Jews, here's what's going to happen. You're going to do it. You shall flee to the valley that's made by that rift in the mountain. For the valley of the mountain shall reach to Azal. And you shall flee as you fled the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come and all the ones with him. You say, how can all Israel be saved? They're going to be bottled up. No hope. No power. We literally are. This is it. There will be no more Israel. They're going to kill us all. And then Christ himself will come down and they will look at him whom they've pierced and they will believe. He'll touch down. Mountains split. They run to him. And when they run to him, he literally steps out front. Now you all got to deal with me. And it doesn't go well for the armies of the, of the, of the nations. And Jesus fights for Israel. And they are saved physically and they are saved Spiritually, back to Romans 11. The last thought this morning is an overview of grace. An overview of grace. Look at verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. I need you to hear this. 
say, Jeff, you've said a lot. I know. The Bible says four. Your evangelistic efforts aren't going to do it, but they're going to be saved. Here's why. God's like, I made promises to Abraham. I always keep my promises. For the gifts. The word gifts means grace. My, it's, it's the idea behind the word grace. God says, when I grace someone, when I gift them, it's irrevocable. When I call someone, it's irrevocable. You can't call me off. What I say is going to happen is going to happen. And there's a generation. Boy, I hope it's the ones on earth today. There's a generation of Jews that they are going to all that survive. All at the end, when they see Christ, all of them are going to come to Christ. Why? Because it's irrevocable. So, Jeff, what's your point? Grace has been the theme of the book of Romans. Grace is the theme of this section of Romans. Watch. I'm going to make a statement. I stand by it. For anyone to be saved, God must grace them and call them. For anyone to be saved... God must grace them, gift them. I give you the gift of salvation. He must grace them and he must call them. And once he calls them, it's irrevocable. You say, Jeff, do you believe when he calls, people come? They come. Why? It's irrevocable. It can't be revoked. I'll go further. No human being just decides on their own, I'm going to get saved. You're dead in your sins. We're born with a default of hardness. We saw this a few weeks ago. I'm going to hit it fast. Look at John 6.44. I hope it's on the screen. Look at John 6.44. Watch this. Jesus says, no one can come to me. Look at what the Bible says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Unless the Father... You, you have to come to me, Jesus says. You must come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 37. Verse 44, he says, you can't come to me unless the Father draws you. Acts 16. Look at Acts 16, 19. Here's that word. We saw it a few weeks ago. But when her owners, the slave girl... I can't get bogged down in that. Just look at the word. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the market before the rulers. Paul and Silas are dragged into the market. Literally, not because they wanted to, against their will. The word draw, look at John 6, 44. No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It's the same Greek word behind the word. Paul and Silas are dragged Answer this in your head. This is, this is the most important thing. Have you ever in your life been dragged to Christ by God the Father? Have you ever in your life been drawn? It was Mount Olive Baptist Church up on Town Mountain Road above Asheville, North Carolina, 1979. Listen, little nine-year-old boy, more shy than probably anybody, maybe one or two of you, I'm telling you, if I was in a cafeteria, I want no one looking at me. I was so self-conscious. We didn't have side like that. It was pews. Not as long as this. Not as big as these sections. Probably about this many pews. I'm literally sitting, nine-year-old boy, somewhere around right here. And they tell me my granddad's preaching. Guys, against my will. Against Jeff's will. Jeff wants no one looking at him. I got drug. Little kid, so self-conscious, shy, introverted. I got pulled. Today's my day. Why? Because God had declared in second Wednesday night of June 1979, that little sinner will come to Christ and I'll save him. And it was on this side and they tell me a guy named Doug Wright. I think I got saved back there. It just got verbalized up here. He drugged me. You ever been drugged? You ever been drugged? You say, I don't remember a time in my life I've ever been drawn You've never been saved. Israel, they will come. Why? Because God's already said, I promised Abraham and I keep my promises. Say, Jeff, looks like you've got three or four verses to go. Verse 30. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy. Not the punishment, mercy. I'm not preaching through all these verses. I'm giving you one last thought. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, 
That's the whole world. But then God called the Jews, right? Abraham, 4,000 years ago. Whole world's disobedient. Whole world's sinful. But now, you've received mercy because of the Jews' disobedience. Yeah, that's what we're seeing. So, they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. And verse 32 finishes where we were about halfway through the message because it's very confusing. Remember, interpret obscure passages in the light of clear passages. Verse 32. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. You say, Jeff, who is the all? In verse 32, listen carefully. God has consigned all to disobedience. I'm going to tell you who the all is there. You ready? It's all. It's everybody. Everybody's sin. Romans 3, 10, 11, 12. Romans 3, 23. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. As is written, there's none righteous. No, not, not, not one. Save Christ. Verse 32 again. God has consigned all to disobedience. He's literally allowed it. It didn't surprise him. I don't understand this. I don't understand what I'm about to say. God more than allowed everybody to sin. Why? That he may have mercy on all. So Jeff, all in 32A means all people who've ever lived. Does 32B mean all eventually go to heaven? He's going to have mercy on all. Yes, he saw the whole thing all along. All would be disobedient and sinful. But in the end... All of us go to heaven. If you want to write it down, that's called universalism. Many believe in it, and some use this passage, verse 32, to prove, support, universalism. And a verse in Colossians. See, eventually everybody gets saved. Man, I wish they were right. I wish they were right, but I would be lying if I taught that today. Matthew 25. Verse 26. Would you look at 46? Look at that. Jeff, do you believe in universalism where eventually everybody gets saved? Guys, look at the Bible. And these will go away into eternal punishment. Not just there's a fire. Yeah, I've heard some people say, yeah, the fire is eternal. No, the punishment is eternal. But the righteous into everlasting life. Guys, here's all I'm saying. The same word, eternal, is used for the punishment as it is the life. So if you say, I believe we live on and on and on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in eternity in heaven, then we have to say there are people eternally in hell. Revelation 20. So Jeff, do you believe in universalism? Revelation 20, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, so there's these books, literal books, guys. It's going to happen. There's this great white throne judgment. Jesus is going to judge all the people who refuse to trust him. And these books will be open. And all of your deeds will be brought out. And these are not full of lies. These are facts. And all the evidence of your life is going to be on display. But there's this other book. And if your name's in the other book, the book of life, you don't face this judgment. But verse 15... If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Chapter 21, verse 8. Who are these people thrown into the fire? Chapter 21, 8 of, verse, of Revelation. As for the cowardly, here's them. Listen. They're afraid of what people will think if they were to trust Christ. They're afraid of what it may do to their life if they trust Christ. They're afraid of what... But what if I can't? The cowardly, the faithless, the unbelievers. I just don't think he can forgive my sin. The detestable, literally the abominable. The murderers, you're like, yeah, well, they deserve it. The sexually immoral, that's, that's fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, all of these things. Bestiality, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, those who use drugs and things to take themselves mentally, to open themselves to demonic activity, idolaters, those who love other things more than God, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Matthew 25, 46 says it is eternal punishment. So, Romans, all are disobedient. So who's this other all, Jeff? God assigns all to disobedience so that he can have mercy on all the ones he will have mercy on. 
Romans 9, 16, that whole section. So he said, I promise I'm done right here, watch. Let me get this straight. The only way to go to heaven is your name has to be in a book? Yes. How do you get your name in that book? I'll tell you how you'll know who's in the book. They believe Jesus. John 3.16. We have John 3.16. For God, so love the world. Here's a promise. I'm not making this up. I'm not harming the context. You go home and read it. Guys, this is the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. They have eternal life. And in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jeff, how do you get your name in the book of life? You believe in the Son of God, you will not perish. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who does it. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. I'm going to invite you to put yourself in a category. I believe everyone in here will fit into one of these three categories. I need you to assign yourself to one of these three categories. Which one is it?